John Dangler, what's up? What's up, dude? Glad we're doing this. Yeah, me too, man. It's been too long. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to talk about decision making. Is that what you've decided? We, we decided to do a podcast. <laughs> okay. And we're done. That's it. Over. <laughs> Show's over. Uh, <clears throat> no. Um, yeah, man. So uh, I, I feel like this is a, a big, interesting topic. Because um, uh, and... Part of what, what kind of sparked the interest is, uh, this is something I've heard you say a lot. And mm-hmm. uh, you recently had an um, Instagram post mm-hmm. about uh, decision. So what you do is you contrast the word decision and incision. Yep. And uh, talk about every decision we make is cutting off yep. of the other options, um, which I think is super interesting. We could dive into that uh, more in a bit. Um, and and really all all of our decisions come from a value system and uh and i think that's something we could dive into like where does that come from um and how you know if we ever get to a place where we're questioning our value system how does that affect our decision making mm-hmm. um and uh you know I, I, another thing is uh just kind of thinking about it and we'll dive into it after this but uh, it's super interesting. So we've, in our leaders, we very much value decisiveness. Uh, yeah. someone who can make a quick decision and stick to it. And even if, uh, you know, it, it looks like it's wrong, it's, or someone who's, you know, steadfast in their decision-making. Uh, and even in our politicians, you know, it, we, we criticize them for flip-flopping or changing their mind, which mm-hmm. it may or may not be good. I mean, it seems healthy to change your mind with new information. Um, but yeah, man, um, it, we can dive right into it. I, so, uh, we, I can, I can start off with a story okay. of something that happened yesterday. Awesome. And it involves, uh, uh, a very heightened emotion state, emotional state for you, for me. Okay, good. Yeah. And, uh, and decision making. So, um, I, uh, I had to pick my kids up from school. Right. And I got there much earlier than I use than I usually get there. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, it was, it was right kind of when, so they have car line where you could like get in in a line, drive around, pick up your kids. Mm -hmm. Well, one, my kids don't know to go to car line because I'm, I'm earlier than I usually am. And two, I don't have a hang tag to let the people know who I am and what kid I need. Kids, I need to pick up two kids. Mm-hmm. So I, I was like, well, I'm going to park and I'm just going to go in so I can show my ID, pick up the kids. So I get in and it is a madhouse. There's kids everywhere running around. I mean, it's just bananas. It's just mm-hmm. crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I get to the front is desk. Is elementary school? Elementary and middle. Okay. So it's like K through eight. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I get in the lobby and so my son is actually already there doing something else. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm like, what's up buddy? Um, and so he's kind of standing with me. Uh, I, I get to the front desk. Uh, I, I tell the lady like, Hey, here's the, I'm picking up these two kids. Show her my ID. She checks the system. All good. So, and that's fine. That That's great. And then, 
So she's calling my for my daughter on the walkie-talkie. And so I okay, I arrived at just after three o'clock. Okay. And so I'm waiting and waiting. So now it's like three twenty ish, maybe. And I say, Hey, I think my son knows where she is. Can I just, can he just go get her? And she's like, sure. So my son runs into the school. He comes back. is like, Hey, they won't give her to me. And, uh, like they, they won't let her leave. They won't let her leave with me. And I'm like, that's weird. Um, so there's another, uh, there's another guy that kind of the maintenance guy that works in the school. So the lady grabs him and says, Hey, I'm being super careful not to say names. Sure. So, uh, so, uh, anyway, he's like, yeah, I'll take him back. I'll walk him back to the, to the class and he can get her. So we get to right outside the door and the lady that runs aftercare, she's like, Hey, what, so what's the problem with aftercare? And we're like, no problem. I'm just here to pick up my daughter. And, and she's, and then she's like, you can't pick her up. And I was like, excuse me. And, uh, so apparently there's a policy I didn't know about. And I found out after, <laughs> afterward. Um, so once they sign into aftercare, you can't pick them up until three forty-five. And sure. Which, okay. Wh- which yep. to me is asinine. Like, so anyway, from a program perspective, I could understand how a rule like that might emerge. Maybe. Yeah. Right. And, and, and I will say, so after calming down and thinking about it, I can see where it, so the school is already a madhouse. So yeah. I could see where it's like, Hey, we need to keep these kids in here until this time. So all the other kids and Carline and the Confusion. walkers and can get out and then we can, uh, you know, have some kind of organization and, and releasing the kids in aftercare. I understand that at the time though, I'm, so I'm here, but I'm like, but I, she's like, you can't pick her up. And I was like, it, she's like, it's against policy. And I'm like, what? I, well, I'm here. She's right on the other side of that door. I just give me my daughter. And she's like, no, you have to wait till 3:45. Which at that point, I just am seeing red. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah. No, I get this. Okay. I because it, it, so it's it's interesting. It very much triggered. I hate using that word, but it triggered something primal and protective, some sort of, some sort of, I don't know, caveman, uh, parental thing in me where I was like, Oh, something's this person in front of me is between me and my daughter and it's about to get bad. Yeah. And, and so I, so I, I I actually feel really bad. I I was very, I was very mean to this lady. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, very forcefully told her that I did not care about her policy. <laughs> and uh, I was like, I'm her father. I'm allowed to pick her up. I showed you my ID. Give me my daughter immediately. And uh, so she did. I got my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, there were, and there was some back and forth. There was some kind of heated back and forth uh, with me and this lady. Um, so in my head, so with that, so there was, I was just, uh, a very uh, heightened emotional state. I'm just seeing red because I'm like, I want my daughter now. And I was like, I don't care about your policy. 
uh, if I can come here whenever I want and pick her up, get like, I want her now. And, uh, so, but in my head the whole time I'm trying to like take deep breaths and I'm telling myself, I, okay, I value my family. I value my freedom. I value, um, you know, my kids being able to go to school, my kids being able to go to aftercare. And so I don't want to ruin all that by letting your behavior. Exactly. Yeah. So I, so I'm, you know, I, so I'm like taking deep breaths. I'm like kind of repeating that in my head. Like it's going to be okay. She's going to get my daughter. She's going to bring her to me. We're going to, it's going to be fine. Don't rage out on anybody. Um, but that was not easy. That was like, I, I was very much restraining myself. Yeah. Well, good. Good job restraining yourself. Yeah. And so, you know, and I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, just as far as the decision making. So I could, I could have made a terrible decision very easily in that moment to, cause I knew where the classroom was. I could have pushed past everybody, grabbed my daughter, walked out and, and, and just dealt with the aftermath of that. Um, yeah, well, it's interesting. Okay. So first of all, the policy itself makes perfect sense to me. So if I picture myself running a program that parents can just show up whenever they want, like going, especially like, and part of this is because, so Erica works for the school system right? Yeah, and I hear about how parents act and yeah, that was me. I was one of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's like I hear about how parents are and the idea that's like, yeah, like you can come get your kid on time, but there's this program that I imagine exists because you can't get here on time. Yeah. And so you can come at this time, which is fine. And it's a service we provide and offer to you. And that I pay for that you pay for right. sure. <laughs> To be clear. Uh, but yeah, so then, so, so I can understand the policy, but I also understand the, and, and it sounds like this lady's a serious stickler, but it is like, I get it. I know I've had to learn over time that when you have boundaries and you compromise those boundaries, Mm. boundaries are compromised. And so then it's like, well, if I do it for you, I need to do it for everyone or it sets a precedent. Yeah. Yeah. And so I don't want to do that for you or for anyone, no matter how upset you are. And in fact, the more upset you get, the less likely I am to cooperate with you. Right. So I'm just like empathetically Uh, putting myself in the shoes of this teacher. But then I can put myself in your shoes and go, I also have no respect for your rules in general. Mm -hmm. I will not be told what I can and cannot do. I can't imagine adding the gasoline that is about my children and my children's well-being or something like that or what's right. best for them. Yeah. Um and so I can totally understand like the position that you were in and good job talking yourself through it. I, I think that's so this is the place of what they call cognitive behavioral therapy. Yeah. So it's I feel this way and I need to think about how I feel and the reality of the circumstances I'm in and think this through so that I can navigate my behavior. Right. Right. And so this is the triangle, like, right. Feelings, thinking, Mm -hmm. behavior. And, and, you know, for someone that is in a heightened emotional state. So have you ever read, or do you know of, I think it's Dan O'Reilly's book, 
predictably irrational? No. So it's okay. Well, the title gives away a lot. Yeah, like yeah. You are predictably irrational. And I think a good, like we do things that we know are not good for us all the time and we don't act in our own best interest. And a lot of times that's related to what he would call like aroused states. So that could be, I mean, the, what you think of sexually aroused, like, oh, I made a bad decision because yeah, it was you. the heat of the moment. I think a really good example is going grocery shopping hungry. Yeah. So like your budget be damned. You know what I mean? Good decisions be damned. It's like you, you can, like I called you yesterday, you were at the grocery store. Right. Hopefully you bought what was on your list mm -hmm. and what you had set out to do and you checked that task off and you executed it well. Yeah. And hopefully you didn't make a too many impulse decisions mm. because those ho-hos just look so good right now or whatever, yeah. both for your health as well as your budget, as yeah. well as the well-being of your children and the modeling of behavior and all of those things. And yet, and yet, Right. That's what happens. And so. Yeah. None of it, that was true. By it, the way, You did all those things. I did. Yeah. Right. I did all those things. I, so this I didn't have a list. So <laughs> <laughs> you're like, oh, bacon looks good. Well, so here's the thing, though, is that and, and this is the the we are. And, and to a point, and this is I, I don't remember the book enough to walk you through the studies, but we are. It is predictable mm. how irrational we are. Yeah. And how advertising is used to manipulate you in certain ways based on like, I know what you will do given certain circumstances. Mm. And there's all these super cool psychological studies about like watching how people behave differently based on aroused emotional states or sleep deprivation, hunger. So you have like emotions and then you have, uh, have you ever seen better off Ted? No. I love the conflation of this. So there's a character that, so it's about a company. It's a hilarious show. There's, I think there's only a couple seasons of it. It's about an office, but, uh, that Porsche, uh, who is, what's her name? Ellen's yeah, partner. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. She is the like boss of this company, right? Or the boss in the show. And she's an incredible character that like is cold blooded. Like, like doesn't, she's funny. She's hilarious, but she doesn't, seem to have emotion, right? So there's this other woman in it at one point, something comes up about childhood and she's clearly like having a feeling and she's like, I don't want to talk about this. And she's like, my, I think she said my feelings are getting itchy or something like that. And, and the character's like, you're having feelings. And she's like, yeah, I'm a human mm -hmm. being. I have feelings. I have all the feelings. I, I get sad and happy, hungry and tired, but it was really cool. Anyway, that's it. That this is so cool to me that the conflation of these things, we know better. And that's why that was funny that yeah. hunger is not like fear, but it is functionally. It's a, it's a, it's a base level drive. Right. Anyway, all that to say, uh, it deeply affects your ability to make decisions. And you were in the, as you watched yourself in the heat of a moment go, I am losing. This is why we would say I lose control. Or have you ever said, I don't know what got into me. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. But it's like, I mean, what do you mean? You, you, you acted outside of your normal behavior. Yeah. And you could have done that then. In, in fact, it sounds like you might've came really close to that then. And maybe you did act outside your normal behavior and maybe you have yet to see some of the repercussions of that. <laughs> maybe. Uh, I, yeah. Yeah. 
I got home and told my wife, I was like, I just, I just lost it on this lady. And her reaction was, if they get kicked out of aftercare, you're dealing with it. Yeah. Well, that's, she also has good boundaries. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, all right. I'm not cleaning this up enough. for you. Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, yeah, maybe <clears throat> I, so I actually see this lady quite often uh, when I pick my kids up. Uh, maybe I should apologize. Um, I, you know, so I get it. Like after, I think if she, if she, I don't want to, you know, it's really not her responsibility. I, I didn't know the rules, so I'll, I can admit that. So when I, when I'm telling my wife the story, she was like, yeah, you can't get them before three forty. And I was like, well, what do you do when you get them? She's like, I wait in the parking lot till three forty-five. And I was like, well, I, I didn't know that. <laughs> and then, and, and so I sent her a text at like three Oh five. Hey, I'm picking up the kids. And I was like, why didn't you tell me? I was, I sent you a text. She's like, I thought you knew. And I was like, I did not know. I didn't know. Anyway, but I think if she had said, I, I think what, what kind of triggered it for me was you can't pick them up. You can't pick her up. And I already had one kid. He was already there with me. We know from past episodes, you're like, I could do anything. Yeah, do whatever right. I want. Oh, you ain't going to yeah. tell well, you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when she was like, you can't pick her up. I think that's what set me off. Uh, and I, I think if, if she had said, Hey, it's a madhouse here around this time. Can you, you know, can you, can you just please be patient with us and we'll, we'll get her as soon as we can. They're like, yeah, I, I get it. It's crazy here. I, I don't know how you're not losing kids every day. They're all running around like, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Um, uh, so I think, uh, and, and I, so I work in it, um, but I have clients and so it's very much, uh, like a customer service. It, it's a customer service job because I, I do it work for clients mm-hmm. and they, they get upset and you've got to, you got to figure out a way to communicate without, uh, well, you know, feeding the fire, so to speak. Yep. Um, so what I don't, I don't blame her. Uh, I think she was doing the right thing. Um, but yeah, that the that base emotion for me was you have my kid and I want my kid and it, this is going to happen. So, I, you know, whatever. Sure. Uh, but, you know, it's so it's interesting, you know. Uh, so. We think. Emotions are, you know. I mean, are emotions bad for decision making? Because we well, we seem to use them. We seem to, uh, you know, especially especially if you're you you've got all the facts and you're like, I don't know, I could go this way or that way. That's right. And then you kind of like, ah, my gut tells me I have to do this. I'm gonna go this way. You know, so this is a very difficult question for me because I tend to, like, I'm not. I don't think that I'm highly emotional, right? And I understand emotions at the most basic level, as yeah. in. This is in my way. It's irritating. This is very helpful. And that's pleasing. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just basic. I'm like, oh, this, this makes life easier. This makes life more complicated. Right. Um, but I do. And, and, I, and I don't know necessarily how to differentiate. I, I, this is just a field of, I mean, I'm highly fascinated in this. Like, what is intuition? Because mm. I am, I am intuitive. Right. Um, I function highly based on my intuition and my gut. Um, but I'm not, but I'm not like having 
what we typically think of as emotions about things where it's like, this made me really sad or something like that. And, and when, uh, and then, but then I also know, like I mentioned before, things like hunger, sleepiness, those things can really affect decision-making as well. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know, and I think intuition and actually there's some studies, uh, that have been done. This is a very hard thing to zero in on. It's very hard to study intuition, but there are people who've been attempting to do that. I don't know. Um, but I will tell you that like, there are ways in which negative. Okay. How about this? If you feel really bad about what happened yesterday, which mm. I don't think you do, but if you feel really bad, I, I, feel, I do feel somewhat bad. Guilty. I feel guilty. Remorse. Yeah. Okay. Hopefully. I feel like I, feel like I was wrong. I feel like I didn't. I feel like I was in the wrong. Yeah. So that feeling um, is a corrective feeling. So, and, and, and this is what I actually think conscience, this is where conscience comes before thinking. It's like pre-rational. Mm. It's like, I feel bad about this. I feel guilty for having done this. I feel some shame even maybe around this. And therefore I don't want to act that way again in the future. And the more negative emotion you have around this, this is maybe the, the benefit of a negative emotion related yeah. to your behavior is like, I feel terrible. Good. Good. Cause your own psyche is going to punish you mm. and you don't want to feed that feeling. You don't want to give into it either. Like this isn't the end of you. This doesn't define you. Yeah. You're not, you know what I mean? So like that's where shame gets really dangerous. So guilt is good. Feeling wrong. That's good. Guilty. But, but then moving into, cause what shame does is like Brene's Brown, Brene Brown's great insight is like you move toward, I am no good. Yeah. I am guilty. Mm. And in this sense, like, sure I was wrong, but hopefully you're psychologically sturdy enough to go. Yeah. I'm not a terrible person. I, I screwed up. Sure. Given the moment, I don't know what got into me is the nice. <laughs> excuse. The devil got into yeah. Me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's exactly <laughs> it. And so then you go, well, you know what? Now you have a decision to make about how you'll behave tomorrow. And you have a decision to make about how you will interact with her. Right. Yeah. Um, and you need to act decisively in that. And if you choose not to make decisions and you put that off, then you, well, that is a type of decision. You yeah. are not deciding, which is a decision, um, avoiding a problem. And, and I would say that every decision you make is making you. So yeah, by, yeah, yeah. if you had decided to go off on that lady or at the level you did, uh, you are more likely to do it again. And, and the mm. fact that you feel bad about it, I think is very important and you yeah. need to act on that to repent is the right, like use yeah. of that word. Yeah, right? yeah. Because, and decisively like fix it, undo it. You can't undo it. You'll always be the one that did that. And she'll always be the one that like you <laughs> did that too, but you can work towards something like reconciliation, something like rep reparation or whatever. Yeah. Um, because yeah, and, and this is, this is why, you know, so around that predictably irrational or shopping while you're hungry is like, this is why. So every morning, just about every morning, every weekday morning, let's say I get up early mm. and I don't feel like it, but I've decided that. And I don't think that in the morning I have a decision. Like there isn't a decision to make. 
There yeah. is only a follow through. And so when that alarm goes off, I get up, mm. but I never want to. And if my morning self got to decide the bed feels warm and cozy yeah. and cuddly and night, mm. like I don't want to get up. And so it's like, I, my, my sober awake self wants to be disciplined and wants to get up early. And, and I know from historic historical like experience, the days that I get up, no matter how little I sleep slept, I have a better day and I perform better because of my morning routine. And if I sleep late, instead of doing my morning routine, I perform poorly and I'm dull no matter how much sleep I got. Wow. And that's a reality. So I have to get up. But I look at that red and green button on my phone when it goes off like a spiritual war. Oh, yeah. Because if I hit snooze, tomorrow I'm more likely to hit snooze. And the next day I'm more likely to hit snooze. And I am becoming a weaker man. Mm. I am becoming someone who snoozes, right? Rather than someone that you know slays the first dragon they see in yeah, the morning, yeah. which is what that feels like to me. is like mm. victorious to get to the bathroom. That's good. Yeah, I think uh, I just next time I see her, I'm just gonna. I need to apologize. That's a that's the decision I'm making. That's good. That's good. So hopefully, don't they don't get kicked out? <laughs> you won't. No, I don't think they will. You won't. Um, <clears throat> did your daughter see any of that? No, neither did my son. Good. Because yeah, in fact, I that's part of uh. So me and her were going back and forth a little bit, and then uh. My daughter walked up and then that that's really what made me stop. And I was like, I, I, I achieved my goal. She's right here. I have her. Yeah. I, there's no need to keep going with this. And we just, I was, we just left. You know, what's really interesting to me. Um, you said your daughter walked up and you stopped now for that is both. She's present and you achieved your goal. Yeah. So who knows which is which, but when I was young, um, like, like, like 15, 16, whatever. Mm. I worked at a grocery store and I had this weird experience where this lady was going off on me, like just this customer yeah. like just going on. I mean, bitter, ugly, resentful, wrong. Like this, this woman was wrong. And I, I have this deep, like you will not talk to me that way. Yeah. And I'm going to throat chop you. And outside <laughs> of that situation, I would have ate her lunch. Like yeah. no, question right but I was on the clock I had a name tag on it was my first job and I didn't want to lose it at the time I think I was making 425 an hour and I sucked it up and got through it and she left and I remember like I think when it was over I was like I need to take a break or I walked to be alone for a minute to like you know take a breather because I was hot yeah but I bottled it up mm. And I remember I, it was like a powerful experience to me because it, it was almost instant. It was like something in my mind, uh, you know, at the time I wasn't a believer. You could have said like maybe it was the voice of God or conscience or whatever you want to call it. But it was like something in my mind said, see, you're able to control yourself. Mm. Uh, because in all these other circumstances, you make excuses for not controlling yourself. Like you allow yourself mm. to fly off the handle or get in a fight or snap on somebody, but you just prove to yourself beyond a shadow of a doubt that you can do it. And the thing that motivated you was four twenty-five an hour. 
You know what I mean? Like, like whatever it is, like there are things, there are reasons for you to suck it up. And if you have, and this is, you know, you know, Nietzsche who, who has a why can endure any how it's like, why to me at that time was I have a job, I have a responsibility here and I don't want to lose this job. Yeah. And that was enough of a reason to hold it together. And had your son been standing there, that might've been enough of a reason for you to hold it together. Right. Right. And it's just very, very interesting to me. And it, and to me, so this is what you're saying. Values influence our decision-making. Mm. This is why I think it's really important to, to believe that you act in front of God. Like everything you do is laid bare and witnessed by goodness and truth and mm. power. Like, that is a highly functional uh, thing to me. It's like, yeah, you're not, because it gives you a capacity to, well, it, it gives you values. Yeah. Right? There is a reason, there is a reason to do this. Now, there are other things you, there are other things that can be that guiding value, but I think driving values like that are super important. They help you stay in your lane and sure. create boundaries and say like, I will not ever, so for me, like I, I know that I am like, I don't think I temperamentally have any issue with violence, mm. but I philosophically and morally have a huge issue with violence. Mm. Like I'm like, I don't want to do violence ever. Right. I want nothing to do with violence, but like, in, no, but in my bones, well, yeah. in my bones, I want to kill people all the time. Yeah. Like I, you know what I mean? Like existentially, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. I am the kind of guy, which is why I think it's important that I have a conviction around nonviolence. Like I, but it is a, it's a philosophical decision or mm. a value, let's say a driving value Yeah, yeah. to where like there may be a scenario where violence, let's say, let's say you could make the case, like this is the argument for just war or something. There's a moment where you have to do violence. Bonhoeffer said, I have to try to kill Hitler, whatever it is. Right. And it's like, that may come, but I want to have a default reluctance yeah. toward that, sure. well, to like, where that would be have something that we have to override with substantial, uh, input. Yeah. yeah and even yeah. then I don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I want to. Well, I mean, no, I don't, I think, uh, normal people don't want to be violent, but well, I think it's yeah. good to be capable. Oh, I'm capable. Sure. I have no question about that. Right. Yeah, that that is not so that's the thing is I might not you go normal people don't want to and I go maybe am I not I may not be normal. You may not be. Yeah. No, I like I like I like li like no yeah. joke. It's like yeah, yeah. it's deep. It's like when someone it, it's, it's and this is by the way, let me just throw this in. This is the problem I have with children. <laughs> because I it's deep in me like you will not talk to me that way and I don't care that you're 4 and yeah. you haven't learned this lesson. You're yeah. a punk kid. Right. It It's the same as if an adult said it. Like, I don't, it's like, I have to think really hard, but like my, let's say my aroused state, my emotional response to that is you talk to me that way you die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 And I have to like police that like crazy. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But um, you're right. You have to have the capacity well, yeah, so so Gandhi said that. Gandhi said, look, if you're nonviolent because you're scared, you're scared and afraid, mm. you're just a coward, and I would rather you pick up a gun and engage yeah. in that way. Well, yeah, it's the whole thing of if, if, you're, if you're 
if you say you're moral, but in reality you're just scared to do wrong, that's, you're not really moral. That's right. You're just a coward. That's right. And it's like I, I'm capable of doing all kinds of wrong. Uh, and, and me choosing to do the right thing, that's a moral decision. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you hear a lot of men, um, pat themselves on the back for never cheating on their wives. Yeah. And I'm like, that only counts if you've had the opportunity. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, Yeah. it's like, uh, have you achieved a moral victory here? (laughs) (laughs) What? Or do you just happen? No to- one else wants you. You're lucky you found one person that wants you. I was like, dude, that's not a victory. Yeah. I mean, good, I'm glad you haven't cheated on your wife. But that, that was a baseline. That's not something to be proud of yeah, yeah. anyway, even if you had multiple yeah. opportunities. However, you're right. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to venture to say you haven't had a lot. Yeah. Um. So, okay. So l- let's pivot a little bit. What? Yep. So, and I, I'll try to open up with just some, some, uh, kind of internal struggles I, I've been thinking about or dealing with. Um, so what do you think about when your, your logic and your, your emotions are kind of at odds with each other? Um, so what, what's a good way to put this? I, okay. Here's an example. I, so I, I struggle, I struggle with the objective truth of the Bible. And, uh, and so, but, so, but Christianity is kind of my, is my value system for how I operate in the world. And I think it's good. I think, so even if none of it was objectively true, I think it would be better if everybody lived as if they were a Christian. Um, Mm -hmm. but I, so I start, but I start to, it, it, it's hard for me when I don't think a lot of the stuff in the Bible actually happened. Yeah. Well, okay. So there's a lot of things in that. Um, the, well, one is objective truth as a, as a concept is a tricky one for me. So in general, right. So you're like, I don't like, I wanted to interrupt as soon as you're like, I don't know about the objective truth of the Bible. Cause I'm like, what is that sentence even mean? Because I I don't know legitimately. Like, I mean, the closest we have to something like objective truth is like scientific empirical. Right. Yeah. So like it's been tested and it's the, Uh, okay. Okay. You know. Well, what yeah. yeah. Okay. So let me rephrase it. Uh, and so when I'm saying objective truth in the Bible, I, I'm speaking of historical fact. Historicity. So, yeah. Okay. So here's a very uh, simplistic. Yeah. Way. I I'll try to simplify kind Good. of my reasoning. Good. Okay. So it, so let's start with Genesis. Yep. I so I don't, and uh, I think. There are some fundamental fundamentalist Christian Christians who believe this, but I think most Christians accept that the world was not created in six days. That 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 the whole creation story yeah. is a poem. It's mythological. Sure. It's there. There is a lot of uh, truth in those stories, just not historical fact. Sure. Right. So then I, I'm not going to get these in order, 
But so you know, you've got the Adam and Eve story. Yep. And then um, I'm not going to get better. What what's next? Noah and the flood. Well, Cain and it depends. Yeah, sure. That right. does come out. I'm just like so. There's yeah, like yeah, yeah. several mythological stories yeah. in Genesis. Yeah. And it's like I, there's 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 a lot of truth, and those are great stories. There's there's nothing to suggest that they actually happened. Sure. I mean, okay. So this is what I was going to say. Like, well, one, I guess I'd happy to say, I'd happy to stay agnostic around this. Like I'm like, right. yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. W- to me, I go, well, that's irrelevant. It's it, actually irrelevant. I, yeah. And, so, and the idea that the writers of that even thought they were doing history is absurd. Sure. Yeah, maybe. Um, and so, but here's the thing. So for a long time, I, I just kind of accepted like, yeah, those are like Genesis is mythological. Great stories. I love reading them. I love hearing people talk about them, but the, you know, it just didn't, I didn't care one way or another if they happened or not. Yeah. And then recently, uh, with a group of friends and I started going through the book of Exodus Mm -hmm. and we were, uh, so we're reading this book and then, uh, so the author put some dates around, here's when the Exodus probably happened. And I was mm-hmm. like, that's interesting. So I started reading other things yeah. and digging into it. Like, did that actually happen? Is there evidence? So there's actually zero evidence that the Exodus happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's not, not really evidence that Jews were even in Egypt mm-hmm. or were enslaved. Uh, so the whole story seems seems to be made up <laughs> yeah i had so i i just have to say like i i'm gonna go, i'm gonna roll with you here yeah but i am i haven't yeah i, I have at some point but i have a terrible memory uh, i'm not up to speed on like that, that's refuting or arguing whether or not yeah, there yeah. is any historical sure. data yeah yeah um, I said, and that's fine. I'll just say from what I've sure. read and looked into, there doesn't seem to be anything that suggests, uh, the Exodus story was real or that anyone named Moses actually existed. Mm-hmm. Um, so, well then, so that brought the thought of, I was like, okay, so I, I don't think Genesis happened anything in the, in that book, any, any of the stories happened. I don't think Exodus happened. So how far down this biblical timeline am I going where I don't think any of this actually happened the way it's written. And so then you keep, you just keep going down the biblical timeline and eventually end up at Jesus. And you're like, okay, it seems like the, the Jesus story needed to actually happen for, for, for that to be, to have any truth. Um, and then it's kind of like, did it happen? I don't know. Personally, I, there's no way for me to know. I, I'm not a historian. I'm not an archeologist. I don't know if I'm, if I was to say, yes, it happened. Mm-hmm. It'd be a complete guess. Well, this is the challenge with this kind of thinking, um, because it necessitates that like basically every Christian would have to be a historian. Right. Yeah. And they're not right. Many of them aren't even thinkers. Yeah. I mean, to be honest. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and I can, okay. So let me, let me, I may or may not have shared this with you, but I had a absolute meltdown 
of my faith mm-hmm. years ago. Yeah. I know you know that. I yeah. went into about three-year period of kind of the dark night of the soul where I was like, I could not possibly say that any of this is true or that there is a, even a God. And I had an experience. Uh, I can acutely remember one night sitting in the backyard and crying, mm. like grieving the death of God to me. Mm. So this isn't objective. It's subjective. It's like right. I no longer like whatever God I knew has is gone. And that started with like, I remember it's a specific passage in the new Testament about Jesus, mm. the triumphal entry. So there, this is recorded in um, several gospels, gospel narratives, but in Matthew, Matthew is heavily reliant on thus says the prophet, thus says the prophet. Correct. And when, if you go look at Jesus riding into Jerusalem, it says they got a donkey and a colt. Mm. So they, they had a basically two animals, one older than the other. And they put a tunic or blanket over them. Yeah. And he rode them, Mm. thus fulfilling the prophecy (laughs) of Zechariah. So if you go to Zechariah, Zechariah says something like he will ride a donkey and a colt. Yeah. Now in Greek, which is what Matthew probably was reading. So, so, so Zechariah was originally written in Hebrew, right? Hebrew has a type of and the word and yeah. That is uh, what you'd call parallel. So um, the other day you got mad and resentful or like there, there, there may be a way. I don't know. That might not be a good way to say that. Um, but it's he this is a donkey. A cult even like that. You know what I mean? Like a donkey, a cult even or and a cult. But and there exists a word in Hebrew. Like that also Zachari- like. Yeah, like it's it's like it's it's redone. It's like this thing. It's further clarifying what this is. It's a yeah. parallel and sure. But if you translate that, the mm. word in Greek is chi. So it's and, like it's and like we use and. Okay, so there's a different language, and so the if you read Zechariah in the Septuagint, yeah. which is written in Greek, which mm. is what Matthew most likely had access to, he read. In the prophecy, he, he rode a donkey and a colt. Okay, cool. You misunderstood it. And because you misunderstood it, you wrote this document mm. that says that Jesus rode two animals. Do you see the problem here? And I had an absolute meltdown <laughs> because I was like, the Bible, like, I was like, I just found what is effectively a lie because of a misunderstanding that that, you found a mistake. Well, okay. You can say that, but here's what, let me just finish what I'm saying. This is my read of it. I found a lie. Mm. He is saying a prophecy was fulfilled in our time. And the only reason I know you're lying is because you made a mistake. Yeah. You, 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 you yeah. misunderstood yeah, yeah. something that I was able to track down. And because you misunderstood that you're a liar. Mm. Well, that, I mean, it followed that I had an absolute meltdown. I was like, the Bible is 
not useful. Mm. And now ultimately I think that's not true. That's not the case. And it took me a really long time to figure out how, um, but I was like every value I have, everything that I've constructed has been constructed mm. on this, this foundation that just shattered. Right. And that I went, I plunged into hell, mm. uh, psychologically, spiritually, mentally. And it took me a really long time to come out of that. I don't share that to like upset you and people listening, but I yeah. do share it to go. There are, uh, there are reasons to question historicity. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, and what I've realized is even the new Testament writers, like the ideas of fact and history are new ideas. They're, they're new since them. It's not like, yeah. reporting was done the same way or history was done the same way. And right. you can find evidences this reading Josephus or reading all kinds of ancient writers mm. doing something like Josephus was a historian, uh, but you can still find some really weird stuff to go, man, this that's like fairy tale stuff, right? right? Either the world was a different world or history was done differently. Meaning was told in different ways and yeah. storytelling isn't, you know, like we, they, they weren't running around yelling fake news. If the thing that you're telling was not completely accurate in the, in this specific, uh, detail. Hmm. Um, and, and it means, well, then they were doing something different. And what I, what I think is important is going, well, then is there something else I'm looking for here? Like the message of it, like the point of it, like yeah. the broad brushstrokes of it. Um, I don't know if that further complicated your question. Yeah, I, no, I, I think it makes sense. Um, it's just, it, so it's, it's, I don't know what to do with it. I don't know because then it, it for me, it kind of brings into question. It's like, okay, what, you know, what am I doing here? Like what, so what am I doing at church? What am I doing playing worship? What, like, what am I doing? Uh, you know, I have a home church I go to. Um, and so I'm looking at it and like, I, so I don't, I'm not a hundred percent on what's real and not real. Um, but the, the, the thing that Christianity produces, at least in my life, I know historically it's, it's, it's got a very, uh, rich and dark history, mm -hmm. but I'll say in my life, in my experience, um, it's almost all positive. Yep. I've got, uh, you know, a community and friends. Yep. Um, even, and then, and it's, it's like, there's something to a group of people praying the same thing together and it's like even if even if there's not something spiritual happening in the room like some uh, supernatural if there's not like even yeah. if there's not something supernatural in the room there's something powerful about everybody saying something in agreement to something bigger than themselves um, and that has some sort of power or reality to it yeah and, yep and, and even playing on the worship team, it's like, we're all singing the same song. Uh, you know, it, it's almost like a form of prayer kind of like we're, we're singing a yeah. song about something bigger than ourselves and we're all kind of agreeing to these words. 
and it's just in a, a musical rhythmic format. Um, yep. And so that seems powerful, even if there's not something supernatural behind it. Um, now, so the thing to me is if there's not something supernatural behind it, am I just being fake? And, okay. Wow. There, yeah. There's so much, so much, so much, so much there. Uh, well, okay. Let me see if I can rattle off a few thoughts you just triggered. So one is there are a lot of atheist communities uh, if you can say that, that almost seems like a confusing thing to even say, but there are yeah. groups of atheists mm-hmm. forming communities. So, you know, uh, I think uh, Tony Campolo's son, Bart Campolo is mm. an advocate for this. So he's walked away from the faith. Mm. Uh, he's like, yeah, I don't believe in anything supernatural. Um, really interesting guy. I think his podcast is called humanize me or something like that. Yeah. Um, but he's like, and he's saying what you're saying right now. He's like, yeah, but, we would be fools to not gather regularly, sing songs yeah. about values we have, surrender ourselves in some way to a higher calling. Like he's like every it's a it's a functional it's an appeal to functional religion. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, by the way, you see the I have these Time Magazine series uh, up here. I've yeah. selected a bunch of Time Magazine things, but the one you see the one that says "Is God Dead?" Yeah. So that's a cover from the '60s. That is about the uh, death of God movement. And mm. so there is a, uh, in the sixties, there's what's called theothontology, which is like, well, the death of God. And there are, um, I think there was a, a birth of what was called the Christian atheist mm. and like Altizer, there's these writers, theologians really that say like, we, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to like flesh out a concise, but like, we do not believe that there is a God and we think that Christianity is the right move. Right. Yeah. And so they made it, they made a case for this and it was, you know, almost, uh, I, I say you could center around the cry from the cross. My God, why have you forsaken me? You know, the image of Jesus as the God forsaken one or something like that. Um, that's all very, I actually love this stuff and I think it's very powerful. Um, I also think, that the idea, so here's the problem I have with atheism. It's the same problem I have with fundamentalism Yeah, is that I actually think agnosticism is the healthiest, wisest place to be. Mm. And you are saying, well, when I, when I pray, I'm, I feel fulfilled and healthier and wiser. And when I do these acts in community, I feel better off. And perhaps these are just mechanisms uh, other things you're talking about, like it's good that we sing the same song or do the same dance. Yeah. That's actually psychologically true. Like you can find yeah, yeah. the research that right. is if the people, if people chant the same chant or beat the same beat, they go into a, like a shared hive mind state. Mm. And uh, actually I was recently reading a really good book um, called stealing fire, which I highly recommend. But in it, this guy was talking about the Marines. I believe it was the Marines or the Navy SEALs. It was the SEALs. And he was saying what they select for in their in their boot camps and training is the capacity to sync with others. Hmm. So like everything else can be taught. But what we want to weed out is people that are so individualistic that they can't ad- adapt, function as hive mind. And they're wow. like, that's the actual filtration. 
Huh. All of the stuff we're doing is to find people that can function as a whole mm. because they actually do. Like when when a when a team you played in team sports, sure. it's like a yeah, team yeah. needs to operate as one. And there is actually a mental capacity to sync up. And when we sing the same song and do the same dance, we sync up. Mm. And actually you'll find that often people's heart rates will match, brain waves will match. Wow. Like they, something happens and people harmonize. And when you do, it's like a shared flow state that we all function better. And it's like a school of fish. Like we have that in us. We are part what, um, it's like we're part B, which is the way that, um, I'm sure. Uh, Jonathan Haidt, Jonathan Haidt, Jonathan Haidt. Thank you. Is the one that like put it that way. Right. Right. So there is a function of that. I, I, I think that having a doubt about God is so I would not contrast doubt and faith. I would be like, doubt is an element of faith. And it's a, it's like, uh, Paul Tillich has a book called dynamics of faith that he, I think did a great job. And this was super helpful to me when I was in that place because I laid up all night fretting about there not being a God. (laughs) Like it really bothered me. Yeah. Like I was devastated and he draws this contrast. He's like, you have one person who says, I'm a believer. I believe all these things. You know, Jesus rose on the third day, whatever. And they go about their life. And it isn't central. It isn't, f- it, you know, whatever. They just, they're everyday believer. And then you have someone else that is up all night filled with doubt around the questions of God and truth and whatever. Like ultimate anxiety, ultimate concern is the word that he would use. Mm. And it, and it's central to them and it's bothering them. He's like, doubt is an element of faith. And I, and I would argue, he would say, he basically asked the question, which one of these people is more engaged in a dynamic life of faith? Mm. And it's the one for whom the questions are central and ultimately important and ultimately concerning. And even if that is, even if that's manifesting itself as doubt, it's still like a life of faith. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. And that to me, I was like, Oh, that is funny. But it was like, it was like, it was encouragement. I was filled with courage Mm. because of that. Like it, 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 um, it gave me hope in that dark place because it, it helped me frame what I was going through a little bit. Hmm. Um, and, remove some of the expectations that it needs to look like it did. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, I hear you. It feels disingenuous. It it, it like I it feels like uh it feels like I'm faking it. Like at the heart of it. Like it, yeah. at to- not always, but at times. Yeah. It's like, I'm just kind of, uh, yeah, just going through the motions here. Um, because you know, if I, I don't know, and maybe it's just because for so long I, uh, and I, and I think most Christians think this way. It was like God acting, it kind of inserting himself throughout history. Yeah and acting in in a real tangible way. Well, it's funny because I, I, yeah, I mean, and I still, I would still say that I think God is 
alive and active and functioning in all, in all ways in like throughout life. But I, yeah. it, it, it doesn't mean that that translates into, I think that, um, things that are not real were made real. Like, I don't know, like there, you know, it's like, a, like a good example is a virgin birth, right? Yeah. I do not live in a world where virgins give birth. Right. And the only way, so it, it isn't like I can say like that can be a meaningful part of my life of faith, but it can't be something that I say is historical fact without yeah. doing some sort of an intellectual suicide. Like, you, does that make sense? Cause it's like, yeah, well, it does. Here's the thing that doesn't happen. And you're like, well, right. It, that's why it's a miracle. And it's like, sure. Mm. Then maybe, maybe miracles happen. Maybe. Yeah. Um, but I don't know that I see them happen or, or, you know what I do see? I see mirror. I think I, I see things that I think are miraculous. Like I see addicts become sober. Yeah, I see yeah. people turn their lives around. That is miraculous. And it's the same in con in value to me Yeah, as saying this person got up from the dead. Mm. Um, but because I don't see those things in concrete ways around me, I cannot affirm that in any historical way, but that doesn't mean it can't be a rich part of the fabric of my life and faith and faith narrative. Right. Yeah. That, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, hey, here's so, but here's the, the danger I think is, um, certain, certain parts of the Bible start eroding and it's like, well, you know, that didn't really happen. So, you know, what do we pull from that? Um, and it's, and so I, and I'll say this, I, I think this has been somewhat freeing for me. Uh, but I also think it's, it's kind of dangerous, uh, where, so there's certain parts of the Bible that just, uh, seem at face value seem wrong. Um, uh, particularly sure. like with some things Paul said about women. And so, I, I feel like I'm free enough to, to say, okay, look, there's two options here. Either one, he's just wrong. We can all just agree different time. He, you know, whatever he's yep. just, he's just wrong. That doesn't fly today. Uh, or we're not interpreting it correctly. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and I'm fine with both. Well, there's another option, which is to submit to his authority, which is what many fu more fundamental. Yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah. Do. Um, and so, so then it's, it's, so the, then the question for me is like, okay, if I'm, if I'm going to call myself a Christian and, uh, the, the ba the foundation of my value system is the word of God. And, but then it over time has, it, it it's, it's just eroding. Like it's like parts of it are going away where it's like, eh, that's not really, that's not really accurate or that's not really real or, you know, something. Um, and, and that can be dangerous because you could like, uh, you know, um, you know, Jesus told all of his disciples to go, you know, throughout the world and share the gospel. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. What if you take that one away? Like, man, that's not for really for them. Don't, don't go talk to those people. That's, that's not really what he meant. He didn't really say that. It didn't really happen. We're just, just, we're going to take care of our community. I, and I'm just kind of making that up, but, um, 
you could it, the danger is you can start picking and choosing the parts you feel good about. And then it's your value system. The The foundation of your value system is something else. I don't yeah. know what it is. Uh, and so that's, so that's troubling to me. It's like, okay, where, yeah. where am I pulling my values from culture, uh, community? Uh, you know, I, I don't know. Well, yeah, that's very interesting, man. And so, and then it's like, okay, well, how am I making decisions? If I don't, if I don't know where, where, uh, if I don't know where my value system is and I don't know where I'm pulling my values from, what, what is guiding my decisions? Man. Okay. So there's like, there's so that's so profoundly deep. There's like so many. Yeah. And so I, you know, I guess cats out of the bag now. I, so I've been largely, uh, hesitant or maybe even afraid to say most of this to anybody. Um, because I, because I don't want to lose the, the things I talked about earlier. Like I, I love playing on the worship team. I love my community. I love, uh, you know, friendships and, um, and uh, almost all of that is based around a Christian community. And, you know, I, I guess my fear is, you know, if I was, if I was honest about some of the things I'm thinking, then it's like, you know, the person that runs the worship team is like, yeah, you probably shouldn't be doing this. You okay. shouldn't be leading people, uh, or, you know, Okay. Yeah, right. So there is a Okay. Um I'm going to try to take a weird angle at this. Um so you're married. Mm-hmm. And so that, you know, you have that important relationship in your life. Yeah. Um if you do you ever think I want to uh, may, I don't know. Maybe we should make this more generic, so it's not specific to your wife. But like okay. in in relationships, yeah. Um, do you ever think I shouldn't address this with like let's take this teacher or whatever? Like I don't know, whatever it is. Like I shouldn't address this issue with this person. Like people avoid conflict in relationships to protect the relationship. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. A- and yeah, yeah. By not being forthright and honest Mm. with relationships, you deteriorate relationships. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So like if I have a problem with you and I don't address it, Mm. it doesn't go away. And what it makes is a less honest dynamic between us. Yeah. And it would be better to tell you how you're hurting me or bothering me or irritating me or whatever. And, and to talk it out. So, you know, Jesus said something. He said, if anyone seeks to save his life, he'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. Yeah. I one, I think that's just very brilliant, practical advice. And we can circle back to why, but if you apply that to relationships, if you, if you do these things to save your relationship, like avoid the truth, right? You won't have one. But if you tell the truth and you risk the relationship, mm. then you'll have you can have one. Does that make sense? Maybe. What do you mean? Okay. Well, I, I want to. I this is like a building block where I want to go. So, 
Yeah. I don't want to leave it at maybe. So, well, I because maybe it, it kills the relationship. Well, sure. No, that's right. Yeah. But at least, well, right. But then, but you, then you have a chance of having one. There's a chance of there's having one. There's a chance of having yeah. one. And there's clarity around it. Yeah. So, right. We may find that we're at a crossroads in a, such a deep and profound disagreement that we cannot continue. Yeah. And so we leave each mm. other or something like that. Okay. But at least then we have, like, even then, yeah, we don't have a intimate relationship, but we have a clear relationship. Yeah. And it's a, and that's real. Yeah. Um, versus saying, um, it's, you know, it's a facade called a relationship, right? Anyway, the reason I'm saying that is it's what, it's what I hear you saying going, I'm scared to be honest with my community of faith about mm. my doubts. Yeah. All right. So in, in, um, in the community, mm. I, I have a couple experiences where like one is, uh, we led a seminar a few years back called walking in the dark. And the, it was, it was around doubt, despair. Hmm. And then I did another workshop a while later called, Oh, I forget what I called it. It was something like demons, death, doubt, and despair. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is, this has been like kind of a sweet spot for me. Like yeah. I actually, because I have a deep, deep, deep conviction around the thing you're talking about hmm. because the idea that faith is certainty about things like, so like take for example, life after death. Yeah. If anyone talks to me like they know that there's life after death, I can't listen to them because they don't. And I know they don't. Because you're alive. You haven't died. <laughs> and so don't talk to me about that. Like, right. and I actually don't think the answer, you could, you have beliefs about it maybe, but you do not have certainty. Sure. You do not know anything. And it, an objective reality is not available to you. And those to whom it is available aren't around to talk. Hmm. So we have ideas, right? Does it make sense? And so what I think is important is that we can have honest, real relationships that are not around faith that are not threatened by doubt. Now it feels, so then you're like, well, I, and so I'm, I'm, I'm hearing this and it, I think this relates to you saying, I feel inauthentic, mm. but you're saying I'm being inauthentic and it's not because you're singing the songs. It's because you're not, you're singing the songs and not saying you doubt the existence of the one that you're singing them to yeah, or something like that. And, 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 and what I think is important and why I'm even excited that we're having this conversation and that mm. people might listen to it is I, I believe that it is important for a community of faith that we have places to say to each other, me too. You're not the only one. We right. all have doubts and fears and anxiety. And you know what? The idea that a virgin gave birth to a baby is crazy. <laughs> Can we agree? That's crazy. That may or may not have happened. But if it happened, that's crazy. Yeah. Okay. Here's the deal. Uh, when I led those two seminars, and I yeah. think there was a couple other examples, but basically when a space was made to say, hey, doubt, it was standing room only. So it was at a conference where there was like a menu wow. of options, but it was standing room only. It was so packed. Wow. And what it, what it drilled into me was that we are going to kill our own community by not allowing for honesty mm. around questions of doubt. 
And we need to be able to say, and I would argue the only authentic faith is a faith that can say like, yeah, doubt. I have incorporated doubt in the same way. You're like, you need to have the capacity for violence and then don't be violent. Yeah. Yeah. I need to, I need to be able to acknowledge my doubt and act in faith. So one of the, I mentioned before I was really encouraged by Paul Tillich's dynamics of faith. Yeah. Another thing I, I, no joke pulled off the road. I was listening to an audiobook. It was screw tape letters and in screw tape letters. Is that, um, is that CS Lewis? Yeah. CS yeah. Lewis screw tape letters. So, okay. For those that don't know, um, screw tape is kind of the devil. And he's writing letters. So it's a book of letters between the devil or screw tape, this character and demons. Mm. So there's like demons have been deployed. So there's a demon assigned to you. And that demon writes to screw tape about their progress in pulling you away from faith or turning you into something evil or deteriorating your soul or whatever. Very insightful book. But one of them is, and this could be even a letter that is being written from your demon to Mm. screw tape. It says, I have caused him to question the Bible and I made him feel inauthentic in faith gatherings. Mm. And he's starting to question whether he should even participate anymore. And all of these things are spinning around his mind. And, and, and he's writing to screw tape in pride. Like, look at how well I'm doing. Wow. And then screw tape writes back and says, basically you pathetic demon. Do you really think? do you really think you're winning? And he says in this, this is, I, I'm going to tell you what he said, but I'm going to tell you the way I reacted first. When I heard this, I choked up, pulled off the road and sat on the side of the road for like 30 minutes, like puzzling over. I paused it in just this sentence. He said, there is, this is the devil. There is nothing more threatening to our cause than the man that wakes up in the morning looks around at the universe, sees no reason to believe in anything like a God and then walks in faith and obedience anyway. Mm. And I was like, I mean, even as I say it, it chokes me up. Mm. And I, and honestly, dude, that is it. Like it, it like went deep in my soul. And I was like, that is my life's calling. Wow. Like to, because what you're saying, you're like, I still think this is the best philosophical option available ever. And it resonates so deeply to the point that I'm like, this is what is true. And then you go, well, what if this story never happened? I'm like, what on earth does that have to do with anything? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like this resonates so powerfully, profoundly and deeply. Yeah. And I think that that is a, so there is a book I would recommend to you on the question of it's called the authenticity of faith. Mm. And it's a, it's Richard Beck who I'm, who I love Richard Beck. Uh, he is a social psychologist who teaches at a Christian university in Abilene, Texas. I, I wanted to move there to study under this guy. Mm. He is so brilliant. Um, but he has a bunch of books, um, a lot of these similar topics, but this one is, he said, you know, you know who were the biggest threats to um so it's about apologetics it actually is an apologetics book which is weird for him but he basically says apologetics is usually done like why what the bible says is true why you should believe in god why and he's like those are those are apologies arguments for 
the existence of God, arguments for the reality of the thing. He's like, but the most threatening critique of faith came from people that were functional. So Freud would argue that this is a kind of a fear of death, wish fulfillment type thing. So you believe all of these things for, for a psychological reason. Yeah. And he's like, that sidesteps all of the questions of if it's real. Because like, honestly, it doesn't matter if it's real. It may or may not be real, but you believe it because you're terrified of dying. You're terrified of right. meaninglessness. You're, you are, you know, right. And Fro- uh, Freud, that was Freud. Darwin is another example. Darwin would, and it's kind of like the um, peacock's feathers. Like basically like they're, yeah, yeah. he's like, what, like what on earth do they have these for? Oh God, I forget this argument, but basically things evolved for a reason. Mm even if that reason isn't around anymore. Right. And, and there is an evolutionary reason that you believe these things, mm-hmm. but it, it's like the peacock's feathers. Yeah. It, you can, you don't need them, Yeah, but they're helpful mm. and they evolved for a reason and it's irrelevant and unrelated to objective reality. Like yeah. the only yeah, objective yeah. reality is your, your evolutionary need, the psychological condition. So this book, he basically says, I am going to not worry about arguments for the substance of belief mm. as much as the, the reason to believe. And I'm going to acknowledge that most of what we believe is psychological soothing. Most of what we believe yeah, yeah. is the result of some evolutionary need. Most of this is functional. Sure. But I'm also going to say, is it possible? And he leans pretty heavily on William James. William James would argue pragmatism. Like ultimately this is true because it works. Yeah. That's the argument for faith. And he leans pretty heavily on him, but he actually says like, and he uses this, I forget where he gets it from, but this idea of what he calls the winter Christian, which I think he pulls from someone else, but it's the guy that looks around, sees no reason to believe and then does it anyway. Mm. Uh, he references mother Teresa who wrote, have you read those come be my light letters? No, but you're familiar that. So she wrote yeah, yeah. all these letters right. like there. I don't know where God is. Yeah. I've been completely abandoned. Yeah, yeah. Basically she functioned. She lived in a dark night of the soul mm. and yet functioned as a hero of the faith. And that is, he would argue. And I would agree is authentic faith. Yeah. 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 Yeah, man. I, so I, um, I, uh, Christianity is a super functional in my life and it's hopefully, you know, anyone listening to this, uh, realizes, uh, you know, I'm just trying to be honest and, and vulnerable and I'm not really declaring like I'm giving all this up or, you know, I think it's clear. Yeah. So, but it okay, even if I was convinced God's not real, uh, when we die, the lights shut off and that's it. We're done. Even, even if I was convinced that that was true, I wouldn't want to uh, change my Christian life. Like I still want to pray with people. I still want to have a Christian community. I still want to play worship uh, because those things produce fruit in my life and yep. I, and I believe the people around me. Um, and so 
I don't. I, so even if even if I was convinced that there that God's not real, I would. I still want to be a Christian. I don't want to give up those Christian aspects of my life. Mm-hmm. Um. And it, you know, I. Uh, so there, there's one guy. He's somewhat controversial um, uh, politically, even though he's largely not a political person. Uh, so Jordan Peterson. Yep. He does, um, he, man, he, his biblical series. Oh, it's so good. Going through Genesis. It may be the only reason I haven't completely left the faith. Um, because he was able to shed light on like these stories being true in a different way, which I really helped me like, Oh, okay. There's, there's something much deeper here than whether or not, uh, you know, Noah actually built a boat. Yeah. You know, and it's like, Oh, like, and, and, and it felt like, um, and it felt like a deeper truth. Like it, it was like, Oh, that's so the meaning behind the stories is more important than, whether or, not, whether or not it actually happened. Uh, that is what the stories are. Yeah. 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 And so I, I try to look at, at the, at the entire, and I mean, he just went through Genesis, but I try to look at the entire Bible that way now. Um, because I think it's true. It's like, okay, you know, uh, whether or not something actually happened feels secondary because, Okay, even if it did, even if whatever story we're talking about, even if it did happen, if there wasn't a larger meaning behind the story, it it would not have been told. It would not have been mm-hmm. remembered. It wouldn't have been passed down generation after generation. And so there, so the the metaphorical meaning or principle behind the story is more important than the uh, historical truth. Yeah, so one to so to I'm familiar. I watched all of the yeah. Genesis series, and I can't wait till he picks back up. He says he's going to do that again soon. He we'll says he's going to do Exodus. Yeah, so, which would I, be that'd be so good. Yeah, um, but he is saying, and he did frame what he's doing. Um, he said, "I am intentionally doing a psychological yeah, reading." He does. Yeah. So me not pointing toward. Uh, metaphysical metaphysical or you know the substance of the history or whatever like so as a framing as it's smart because he's like able to treat it that way yeah show you that it's true without any of that Mm. but without implying that it doesn't that those things aren't true yeah right it's like it's it could be both and and it probably is um however so one i think that's an important thing to acknowledge um Oh, I forget where I was going with that. Dang it. Well, I, so I just, I'll just say I, that was super helpful in my life because I think looking at, looking at, uh, the Bible, uh, in, in a very, you know, uh, fundamentalist way where it's like, it, ha- it has to be true exactly the way it's written. Um, it really starts becoming difficult and almost, I would say impossible. I actually think it's a bad idea to begin with. So Christians talk about the Bible as if they're Muslims talking about the Quran. Mm. Um, The idea 
that this is like, like this is the word of God. Yeah. Is a weird thing to me rather than saying, this is the words of man about God. Hmm. Like, and, and it matters, right? Like if I can read, like there was a dude that maybe was named Matthew that wrote this book about the life and teachings of Jesus and was interested in the suffering as Jewish community and the historical prophecy. And he made a major contribution to the world with this text that I can appreciate, learn from and apply. So, okay. Saying that, what, what makes the Bible different than the screw tape letters? Oh, I see what you're saying. Like what, uh, right. Like how is, well, yeah. So I do, I do hold the Bible as authoritative. Mm. Um, part of that is a decision, you know, as a Christian community, um, Mm. that it is deeply rooted in the history of our people and our faith. Yeah. Um, and this is, and honestly, there would, without it, there would be no screw tape letters. Like this is the sure. core doctrine. This yeah. is the core uh, text of well, you could say all with- of Christian faith. So listen, I ultimately, what is at the center of this is the life of the, of Jesus to me. Mm. And Jesus is actually the person mm. that I'm most interested in and most want to follow as a mentor. Yeah. And a leader, the way of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus is central to me. Mm. And, and I think should be echoed throughout all of history. And I would say and affirm completely, this is the image of what is invisible to us. The invisible God was made known in this man. And I only have access to this man through these texts Mm. as clunky as they are, as old as they are, as hard to discern as they are. And, and therefore they are a centerpiece to my own life of faith. And if we find another one, I'm going to read the hell out of it. (laughs) Right? Like, why wouldn't I? Right. And by the way, all of the extra canonical gospels I have and do read, uh, I do not consider them as authoritative. Um, but honestly I do the same thing even with Paul's letters. There are some of Paul's letters that are more Pauline and others like yeah, there's yeah. a couple of them. There's like Paul didn't write this yeah. like for sure. Paul didn't write this and uh, but someone wrote it in the name of Paul and it isn't and I'm not and I wouldn't say that they disagree with Paul even but mm. that they're like written in his name and in his legacy rather than like the pastoral letters and um, and I go man like they in some way Maybe don't carry as much weight. Oh, by the way, this is very interesting. If you cut, if you only have Paul's letters, what would you know about Jesus? Not much. Nothing. Mm-hmm. You would know. I, I'm kind of working from memory, but you would know he was born of a virgin. I think. Okay. Uh, and he died for your sins. I if I so well, that's Kirk, nothing about the man. You would know there was a man yeah, uh, in Judea that uh, at some point shared a meal with people Mm -hmm. like, but there's not much about his actual life, which really, really, really makes me curious because those letters are way before the gospels. 
in in writing in time yeah, when they were most so, likely written. And that's and so didn't Paul? Uh, you probably, you'll know better than I. Didn't Paul? He he went and met the disciples, and he was like, they added nothing to my ministry. Yeah, almost like he, whatever they talked about, he did not care about. Yeah, you lived and walked with Jesus, and it doesn't matter to me. Paul's an interesting character, <laughs> and he frames a lot of what is now known as Christianity. And yeah. it seems that he knew nothing of Jesus, like historically, actually. Like like what is made available in the Gospels is completely absent in Paul's letters. Mm. Now, I'm I'm not making some statement about that other than that's very interesting. Like do a study, yeah. like build yeah, a yeah. profile because what he, so, and, uh, by the, Oh, this is something I wanted to hit on before you made a statement. You said, as these things erode, like looking at the Bible, you're like, what if I decided like Jesus didn't say, go make all disciples, go make disciples or whatever. Mm. It was an interesting thing that you chose that one. Um, so, um, Oh, I'm drawing a blank on his name. Um, I want to say Boltman. I think it's Rudolph Boltman, theologian. Uh, you could have made up a name and I wouldn't. Yeah, but I, I want to remember. <laughs> I just have a, a struggle with memory sometimes. But I th- I'm pretty sure Boltman was the one that he 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 wrote about the demythologizing of Scripture. And and he would say, like, look, just take the worldview of the Bible. Yeah. That heaven is up there yeah. and hell is down there. Yeah. Or like it's a we're, we live in a three-layered cake, basically. Uh, The cosmology fleshed out in the Bible is incorrect. Mm. And we know that it's incorrect because we've flown to space. We can look in telescopes like so. So at the very least, you go, it's it's mythologically true, not actually true. Right. And so and so he he that's a fine example to begin with. And then he's like, what we need to do what his enterprise was is to demythologize the Bible to strip it of myth or to pull from it. What he called the charisma, the -hmm. preaching, what is the message? And can we remove the message from the myth? And, and this is very similar, I think to like uh, the psychological reading of Genesis. Like, Mm. can I get a message out of this that isn't tied to its mythologized structure because people aren't able to swallow this anymore and we don't want to let the message go and we need to get it out from there so we can give it back. Like it was a missionary impulse, Mm -hmm. right? And so he did a lot of work at that, but part of that would be, and part of your example was, well, these things are falling apart, but you're referencing things that are mythological and going, But if the mythology isn't true, then what if I end up deciding that the message isn't true? Mm, And and you know what I mean? And then you're like, oh, that wouldn't be something you would throw away. Right? Like make disciples, make people that are disciplined in the way of Jesus who taught like love of neighbor, sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah, It's, it's, that's ultimately Mm -hmm. distinctly different. Yeah, it sounds similar to, uh, and maybe this is where he got it, um, Neil deGrasse Tyson talks about God of the Gaps. And essentially... Uh, that's, it, a, that's a shrinking God, but... Sure. Right, <laughs> yeah, so it's like it, you, there's something scientifically that we can't explain. You're like, oh, that's God. 
and then later down the road, science. Yeah, 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 oh, yeah. this is how this works. And then your God gets a little bit smaller. Yep. Yeah. And just over time, it's just an ever shrinking God. Yeah. And, it, you know, and then, so I, I think that's, uh, that's the trouble with trying to, uh, like, you know, shoehorn, uh, science into the Bible or you know, historical fact. And yeah, it's and, a bad, it's a very bad move. Hmm. And, it's, it's just so weird. Like scientists like Tyson would say, you know, they don't, they don't seem to think theologically well. And I'm sure he could, if he engaged in that enterprise, the dude's freaking brilliant, mm-hmm. but it's, but then fundamentalists or it's like weird. It's like those that do theology try to think about science and those that do science try to think about theology and not recognizing like the, the mistake that is being made, Mm. you know, that like to talk about the, you know, heaven above us is mythologized language. And, and if you're like, no, heaven is not above us. It's, you know what it makes me think of is guardians of the galaxy. And they go, it went over his head. And the character goes, nothing goes over my head. My reflexes are too fast. I'd right. catch it. Yeah. It's it's almost like a type of Asperger's. Like it's mm. like you're one of you is talking empirically and one of you is talking like ontologically, theologically. Right. Yeah. And you're missing each other. By the way, when Peterson talked to Sam Harris the first time on Harris's podcast, yeah. That was the most excruciating three yeah, hours of a podcast. Yeah. And that's what was happening. Yeah. They were having a conversation on two different levels, missing each other completely. And it sounded like, like just listening to it, it was so crystal clear what was happening. Except for the two of them. Except for the two of yeah. them, which was like, I, I remember thinking like, oh, these guys both have a condition. Yeah. Like there's something wrong with them yeah, yeah. that they can't see what's happening. Although that's the challenge of being in it and not watching it. Yeah, yeah. So they know, tried to. I don't know if you watched any of the Vancouver debates. They 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 tried to uh, solve that problem yeah. somewhat, and uh, it's good. I you know I would recommend anyone uh, going back and watching those Vancouver debates. Uh, I, I'd really recommend Jordan Peterson. Those to, are really good. To at least his biblical series, like he does a lot of. Uh, I mean, if you're interested in psychology, um, you know that he's he's interesting to listen to, but I, I think his biblical series was phenomenal. Uh, so good. It's so good. I can't wait for it to start again. He better. He says he's got another book coming out too. Yeah. I think it's going to be a sequel to the 12 rules of life. Yeah. It's kind of like other rules, which might, is it on the side of chaos? This I time? don't know. I don't know. I hope so. Yeah. Oh, this is interesting. I don't know if this is related at all, but the chaos and order thing. So the other night, um, so we gather on Wednesday nights here and we have like a, we meditate and then we update each other communally. Just like, Hey, what are you working on? What are you grateful for? You know? And then we usually have something to reflect on some topic, something. Well, I hadn't really, um, (laughs) I was busy and I didn't prepare a whole lot. Mm. And so I just grabbed the Quran and was like, I'm going to read a passage from the Quran and hear what you guys think of it. 
you know, just conversationally. Yeah. And so we did that. And I, I got to say, I didn't, I liked it, it. It turned out to be a great conversation, but I didn't like what was, ha- what I, you know, we weren't equipped for that. We weren't equipped for that as a room. So we read it and then people are bringing to it like prejudice with Islam or, yeah. you know, it's like you're bringing, you're not like listening to the text and responding to the text. Those we did. But then I started realizing like, oh, we're getting into talking about religion as such. Yeah. And then we're talking about like differences in Christianity and Islam. And then we're talking about like what it, what it ended up. I started hearing echoing through, there was one person in particular that I was like, oh, this is, there's an interesting thing emerging between like, cause she's talking about like types of religion and this applies in, and even in her own history. So, um, I don't know, a middle-aged woman, let's say. And mm. so she's been through, she had a lot of experiences through her life with different faith communities and this and that and said, and she was basically contrasting. So she said like, you have like churches that are like, let's just say happy, go lucky. I think she said happy, happy, joy, joy. Yeah. So you got like happy, happy, joy, joy. And then you got the fundamentalist, like serious and order. Yeah. And, and I think she was kind of saying something like, Contra, I think at some point, like she saw Islam that way is a little more rigid and strict and dogmatic and whatever. And, you know, fair enough. Um, and so I, I used that cause it came up in a couple points she made and I said, Oh, can I time this out real quick? Just, and I felt like this was the right move as just a facilitator and leader. Like we need to get off of the Quran and Islam cause like this can devolve. But what we need to talk about is what you just said. So I said, uh, it seems to me that you're contrasting joy and order. Huh? And she's like, oh, I think I am. And I was like, well, that's, that's interesting because an orderly person finds joy in order. And you're saying something like freedom and happiness and spontaneity versus rules and ritual and order. And that led to a really interesting conversation uh, that, you know, I mean, I think it's fairly obvious, but like one, we have temperamental differences that would mean one way or another. Like, uh, but I was like, you know, for some and for really for everyone, if we eliminate order, you will have no joy. Mm, Yeah. Like law and order. Right. We'll steal your joy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Mm. let you want to, I was like, we're sitting here having a conversation in safety and in AC. Yeah. That's order. That's a result of order. And if you want to be plunged into chaos, that's not going to be happy, happy, joy, joy, but too much order is suffocating and it'll steal your joy. Mm. Right. And, and you know, I mean that, let's say one of the great attributes, if there's a good attribute of a fundamentalist is that they take things seriously. I like that. Yeah. Although I, I have a problem with how maybe and what <laughs> sometimes, but there anyway, I just, I, yeah, I guess I was a bit off topic. I just thought it was an interesting thing about, and, and it got us into this conversation around chaos and order and, and, but what it made me realize is this relates to our decision-making mm. like you're deciding on, let's say the community you want to be part of based on something like your temperament. 
Uh, I think people's political situations are yeah. figured out a lot in, in large part, like, are you orderly? Do you need boundaries and rules or like, you know, like I'm not temperamentally in need of a lot of organization and order, mm. although I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, anyway, sorry about that. I think it might've been a bit <laughs> tangential. I thought it, I just, I was, I found it interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we could, uh, we could go ahead and wrap this one up. I don't, I don't want to beat a dead horse on this topic. Uh, you know, maybe we could circle back to it or, uh, you know, if I'm <laughs> come to any conclusion to some of my internal struggles, like we can, we can circle back and. Yeah. Well, if we, if you want to do that, then let's, um, yeah, I think, I think we should, I think this is a good conversation. I think it's an important conversation. That, yeah, I think so. That, like at my prayer is that it opens up the conversation for others that we can recognize like a rich and authentic life of faith is filled with doubt, anxiety, and it isn't there. Certainty is a mm. myth. And, and I guess this does relate to a bit of the chaos and order is like you, we start to feel like, cause what I felt was my order fell apart when mm. I started to have doubts right? and my framework started to fracture, but like we are capable of, um, we are capable of pulling it together and seeing it through and like swimming in the depths a little bit. It isn't going to kill us. We aren't going to die. And and God is much more than the the answer to where we don't understand or a gap and mm. what we wheel in to solve the problems when we don't have another solution as much as like the 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 fundamental commitments and vow cuz i i guess i you know i i don't feel and this could go on forever but i don't feel like we're concluded in this no so, not at all so i guess i would want to ask you maybe this could be to close out like because you're like well where do my like what why is it that you think that so you're like well i get a lot of value from praying with others and community and these things but like ultimately this is your value set mm. like and and i guess the question is like did did that really come from reading the Bible? Yeah, uh, I don't know. I feel like it did, but it, it, maybe not. I I feel like I I was uh, working uh, under the uh, what's the right way to say this? I I was functioning as if the Bible was the anchor to my value system. Yes. And, yep. And then that is shaking the foundations are shaking a bit mm, yeah yeah that causes some anxiety doesn't it mm -hmm. yeah you'll live <laughs> yeah i know cool well thanks for talking to me about it all right thanks awesome dude